0: Our sermon series continues for these great 50 days of Easter. We have two more weeks in the great 50 days of Easter. Today is Ascension Sunday. Next Sunday is the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came down and gave birth to the church. We're in the book of Acts and have been for the past several weeks. This week and next week are no different. The Acts of the Apostles were written by Luke. It's the actions of the disciples. It's the way the church is called to get its act in order, if you will. And I love these readings from these seven weeks. Today we go back to Acts chapter 1. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father, This, Jesus said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. So when all of them had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this now the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or the ways that the Father has set by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus had said this, as they were all watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, he'll come back in the same way that you saw him go. So they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. They were there with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as Jesus' brothers. So one of the men who have accompanied us uh, during all this time with the Lord Jesus went in and out among with us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness to this resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to replace Judas. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Ascension Sunday is today. Pentecost is, is next week. This is really like a two-part miniseries within these seven weeks of Eastertide because these events, Ascension and Pentecost, are so marvelous to the life and ministry of Jesus that they needed recording. They need to be told. But they call us to ask a few questions. Where was Jesus going? And why exactly was Jesus going away? It's really a strange story for us who are post-enlightened readers. This breaks and defies the laws of physics. When's the last time you saw somebody floating around on a cloud, right? Someone once imagined what Jesus' return to heaven must have been like from the time he left the disciples and ascended and got back. And one angel said, Jesus, it's so wonderful to have you back with us. So what happens next? Jesus said, well, what do you mean? Well, the angel said, well, now that you've restored the relationship between your father and all of creation by your death on the cross, how is his love going to be made known throughout all the world? To which Jesus said, well, I've I've given that responsibility to my disciples. To which all the angels in perfect harmony and sync said, you've done what? Jesus said, well, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they'll be empowered to make my father's love known to all the ends of the earth. Another angel said, but Lord, Peter rushes in and he's already denied you three times. And another angel said, and Matthew, that tax collector, can you really trust him now? Another angel said, and what about Simon? He was a terrorist. And Thomas, he doesn't even know what he believes. He doubts all the time. Even yet, another angel said, James and John and Andrew, Lord, they're just fishermen. Half the time, they didn't even have a clue what you were talking about. And where were any of these, by the way, when you needed them the most? And so the first angel circled back and he said, so, Lord, what is plan B? Jesus said, there is no plan B. All the angels in sync and harmony said, you must be kidding us. Exhumant angels stage left, grumbling among themselves. There is no plan B. I don't know if angels actually grumble or if heaven even allows grumbling. (laughs) I doubt it, but I hear the sentiment and I receive it. Because who would have thought for a minute that Jesus would entrust the love of God to neighbors and friends and family and enemies to a bunch of guys like these? Who would ever believe that the mission of of Jesus Christ would continue to be entrusted to broken, imperfect, ordinary, and unqualified diverse people called the church. Hmm. In my former life, not that I've been reincarnated, but that I was in business before ministry, but in my former life, I invited uh, an employee one time to attend church with me on Sunday and he immediately said, I can't go to church, there's too many hypocrites there. So I immediately replied, that's right, I'm the chief among them all and that's exactly where all the hypocrites need to be is in church. So come to church with me <laughs> because God has decided to use all of us to change the world. Listen, as, as much as I've devoted my entire life to serving the church, I confess that I do so with a lot of fear and trepidation because who am I that that God would be mindful of me or want to use me? There's not a perfect minister, there's not a a perfect set of ministries, there's not a perfect church because ministers and ministries and the church are comprised of, of people. And we don't always get that right, but we serve a perfect Lord who sends grace upon perfect grace to our lives and to our community so that we may be perfectly resurrected in perfect time, all as a sign that God will not give up on us. God is not giving up on you. God is not giving up on the church. God is not giving up on this world. And friends, last time I checked, that's called perfect love. And it comes down to us in an ever-flowing stream of perfect grace through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What I love about Ascension Sunday is that today is the church's reminder to look up and to look out and to get up and to get out from the sofa, from behind the cubicle, From all of life's challenges, above the fatigue, long enough, long enough to see that Jesus could return at any moment. We need to look up. I think that's why the disciples were standing there gazing. You heard it in the prayer, you heard it in the children's minute. They were just kind of standing there thinking, surely, surely he's coming back, right? They thought it would be sooner rather than 2,000 years later. They even asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore it, that you're going to redeem it, that you're going to resurrect all life and make it back like it was supposed to be, back in the garden when he walked with me and talked with me and told me that I was his own. Isn't this the time, Lord? To which Jesus said, no. And then one writer has said, then Jesus said the most important, the biggest word in all of the Bible, it's only three letters. No, this is not the time, but you will receive power. It's a plural word, you all, Jesus was speaking Southern Hebrew, y'all will receive power when the Spirit of God comes into your life. You, church, You, listening at home, will receive the power of God to change this world. But there's work to be done. There's work left to be done. That's the beauty of of today. We look up and we look out and we get up and, and we get out because we're waiting for that day when all of this will be made right again and be restored and redeemed and made whole again. But there's work to be done, friends. I've had a few of those moments this week, ascension moments. I don't know if you noticed or not, but the, the CDC's announcement this past week happened on a Thursday, as I recall. That actually was ascension day, 40 days from the day of resurrection. That's what Luke tells us, or when t- Luke tells us, that Jesus ascended and promised to send the Holy Spirit to his tired and poor huddled masses of disciples yearning to breathe freely and to figure out what their purpose was going to be. It happened in 40 days. So just a few days ago on the 40th day, we got this good news. And I don't know what you did, but I just kind of paused and and looked up. And I took in a deep breath and I gave thanks to God that there's hope, that this pandemic is subsiding, that we're taking the steps that we need to take. We have some some work left to do, and that's just the point. That God has not abandoned us. That if we are going to look up and look out and to get up and to get out, we need to do so because there's work yet to be done. There's a new light coming for a new day, but there's work to be done now, friends, to heal relationships that have been lost or broken over the past year and a half. There's work to be done on the ground level to begin trusting one another again. There's work to be done to reform habits that we have lost or gotten out of over the past year. So we get to look up and thanks, give thanks to God, but then it's time to do some, some work with one another. I had two other uh, Don't forget to look up moments this week. The first was a quick trip over to Wesley Hall where Daphne and Laura were training 76 volunteers for respite. It's scheduled to open in just a a few days. And so I popped into one of the training events to say hello, and everybody was so gazing and fixed on what they were being told, and they were all smiles and happy and taking notes because we're getting there. And so I stepped back out into the hallway, and I looked up at the ceiling tile, and I took in another deep breath, and I said... Thank you, Lord. You haven't given up on us yet. You continue to call up people, ordinary people with ordinary lives who are willing to make an extraordinary difference in those dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia. You know why? Because there's work yet to be done. The other uh, don't forget to look up moment was at Dolphin Way United Methodist Church where more than 75 United Methodist pastors gathered for a session with Adam Hamilton. Adam Hamilton is a pastor of the largest United Methodist Church in this country, Church of the Resurrection uh, in Leawood, Kansas. And he carved out some time to talk about ministry during the pandemic and some things that that they did well and some pressure points there and some things that they will keep and, and adopt for the future. And we spent a small amount of time talking about the future of the United Methodist Church. I'll be sharing more about that with you in the coming days. But these sessions were an ascension moment for me because I looked up and around at my colleagues. And I looked up again and gave praise to Christ for being the Lord of the church, no matter how complicated things are down here in this world. Christ remains Lord of the church, and that means Christ will not give up on the church. I do not believe for a minute that God is giving up on the United Methodist Church, and I don't intend to either. We need to look up, because our best days are ahead of us. But let's be honest. There's plenty of situations in all of our lives that cause us to look down and to be weighed down and and maybe even to be pulled down from time to time as we're trying to fix our gaze skywardly. But I just want you to hear today to look up, my brothers and sisters, because the best is yet to come. And to look up, because God continues to pour grace upon all of us. I I think we continue to look up and to look out and to get up and to get out, because if Jesus Christ can overcome violence and execution and death and a sealed tomb, surely... Surely Jesus Christ can overcome all with which we deal in this world. I believe that. Do you? On the day of ascension, Luke indicates, the other gospel writers indicate that they had to step out of it for a minute. They had to get outside of Jerusalem. One way I interpret that is they had to get outside of all of the volatility of politics and military skirmishes. They had to step out of it. They had to step out of the confusion and the grief of losing Jesus and losing their best friend Judas by suicide. They had to step out of all of that hardship and all of that tragedy long enough just to to look up a little bit. They stepped away from all the divisiveness and all of the weight to focus on the unity of God's grace. Joel, the prophet, said it would happen this way 500 years before Jesus. He said, it shall come to pass. That's real biblical language. He said, it's going to happen this way. I, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young shall see visions. So I think God is calling us to step out of all that's been dividing us and breaking us and fragmenting us and separating us for the past 14 months long enough to look up, but to do so with a purpose in mind in that when the church looks up, the church dreams together. And together is an operative word in my mind. Easter people, we dream and we prophesy about a God who will not tolerate injustice and oppression, but that same God calls up people as first responders to those injustices and to that oppression and sends them out. Easter people dream and vision about ways to stop hunger, but then God nudges those same Easter people to take food to someone. (laughs) Easter people dream about being on the very front lines of, of mental health challenges, and what we can do about the mental health of our community having dealt with so much over the past year. But then we get nudges to partner with the Samaritan Center or maybe to be, maybe to become a Stephen minister who just listens to, to someone else because at the end of the day, we all want to be heard and need somebody to listen to our story. Easter people dream and vision about ways to eradicate gun violence. But then those same Easter people Invite other churches and neighborhoods and city officials to the conversation because our message is we are Easter people and violence and death will not happen on our watch. Easter people, do not sit and wait on someone else to prophesy and dream because we have been told, but the Holy Spirit is coming to you. One of the final things I want to say is One of the disciples in this reading today, the latter part of it, prayed an important prayer that I think Easter people need to pray. They were trying to decide who to pick to be the the 12th man. Judas was gone. They were dealing with the tragedy. Who's going to be the next disciple to carry out the mission? Because there's always work to be done. The mission must go forward. And one of them said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us the way. That simple prayer prayed 2,000 years ago is a prayer for missional dreamers, those who don't have it all figured out, those who don't always know what comes next, but who are willing by faith to look up and to look out and to get up and to get out and to dream a little bit and then to do something about it because God is not finished with this world yet. Did you know that for 192 years we've been dreaming together as a church? And dreamers, way back in the 1920s, had you in mind when they dreamed about this space and this campus. And our renovations that are happening right now are ways that we are dreaming and thinking about the next set of United Methodist dreamers who will be sitting exactly where you are for the next 50 and 75 and 100 years. So every time our community walks by and looks up and ponders anew what the Almighty can do, it comes in the wake of a dream from God's people. Our church has dreamed and given birth to some of the most important agencies in our city, Ells Hearth and Samaritan Counseling Center and Habitat, Family Promise, who who, who resource the most vulnerable among us. Our dreams have built schools and churches on the other side of this planet. Our dreams launched a seminary foundation and has trained up pastors for communities all across this country and now is training up pastors on the continent of Africa. How about that for a dream? what i want to issue today is a call for for dreamers who among you is willing to look up and to look out to get up and to get out and to be a dreamer because i don't believe that god has even faintly finished with us yet i believe at 192 years old we're just starting to get limber and our best days are ahead of us I won't cast lots unless I don't get to 50, and then I'll cast lots, but I do want to cast this vision. It would be quite an Easter thing to do for 50 of us to say, here's a dream. Here's a dream that will impact this church and this community for the next 50 years. We've taken up some creative challenges over the great 50-day challenge, and I can't wait to share those with you uh, next week but maybe none so as important as dreaming together. In our sanctuary, like most many sanctuaries built in this, uh, in this style, uh, Jesus is the prominent fixture point for all of our, our focus. And so often in Gothic, Neo-Gothic traditions and in art, religious art, uh, Jesus is, is the ascended Lord. And this is who our Jesus is on the reredos. He's ascending, he has a cool little escalator cloud under his feet. Uh, One of the things that happens a lot of times in hand-carved wood or or stone uh, depictions of Jesus ascending as a focal point in sanctuaries is that um, you get to either see his feet, uh, where you get to see the holes, or you get to see this human Jesus in bodily form, not only resurrected but now ascending. But some artists have chosen not to show the feet of Jesus. And so you have to look very carefully. The feet of Jesus will be covered uh, by the cloud, but oftentimes right below it, carved out in the stone or carved out in the wood are footprints. Because I think the disciples were there that day, and they were looking up, and they were looking out. They were trying to figure what it means to get up and, and to get out, and they heard these two angels say, what are you waiting for, as you heard today? What are we waiting for? Get out, go. Do what he said to which I envision the disciples saying, how do I know where to go? That's why artists put the footprints there. Just follow the footprints of Jesus and follow the footprints to where Jesus walked, into the margins, across all the boundaries, across all of the borders, into the hard places, into the easy places, toward people who loved him, toward people who hated him toward those who would even take his own life on Calvary. Ascension, it reminds us to look up and to look out and to get up and to get out and to follow the footprints of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a prayer from St. Teresa of Avila who once said, Christ has no body but ours, no hands but ours, no feet but ours, no eyes to see but ours, no ears to hear but ours. Christ has no body except this body right here. How will we look up and look out and get up and get out? I'm looking for 50 dreamers. Let's pray about it. Almighty God, ascension, reminds us to walk out from the fray to see Jesus is creating a new day and to look up, not alone, but together as a church and to decide what this world needs and how this world needs, but to know that this world needs the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Lord, use our eyes to see the unseen, our ears to hear the cries of those who Don't think they have a voice. Our hands to serve those whom the world has said don't serve. And our feet to go into the places where Christ has been. In doing so, Lord, may we carry a message of love, unconditional love. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.